Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Isaiah chapter 8. Then the Lord said to me, take a large piece of parchment and write on it with an ordinary pen, Maher Shalal Hajbaz. Okay, this is speeding to the plunder, hurrying to the spoil. And it represents how rapid Assyria is approaching. In chapter 7, we saw this warning um, about man, like they're, you're looking at the wrong two kings. There's this other king that you need to know about, and he's coming very swiftly. So this is what the Lord told Isaiah to write uh, on a large piece of parchment with an ordinary pen. I have appointed trustworthy witnesses, the priest Uriah and Zechariah, son of, son of uh, Jeberechiah. I was then intimate with the prophetess. She conceived and gave birth to a son. The Lord said to me, Name him Maher Shalal Hazbaz. For before the boy knows how to call father or mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoils of Samaria will be carried off to the king of Assyria. The Lord spoke to me again. Because these people rejected the slowly flowing water of Shiloh and rejoiced with Rezin, the son of Ramalia, the Lord will certainly bring against them the mighty rushing water of the Euphrates River. The king of Assyria and all his glory, it will overflow its channels and spill over all its banks. It will pour into Judah, flood over it, and sweep through, reaching up to the neck. And its flooded banks will fill your entire land, Emmanuel. Band together, all right? Uh, so it's, it's a fill your entire land, vocative case comma, Emmanuel. Band together peoples uh, and be broken. Pay attention, all you distant lands. Prepare for war and be broken. Prepare for war and be broken. Devise a plan, it will fail. Make a prediction, it will not happen. For God is with us. So in the end of verse 8, it's proclaimed the land of Emmanuel. In verse 10, devise a plan, it will fail. Make a prediction, it will not happen. For God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means, all right? These waters that are coming in, they represent uh, Assyria coming up and then getting all the way up to the neck of Judah, but Judah's going to survive. They're not going to drown. And uh, on occasion, the Assyrian army is going to threaten their independent existence, but they'll not completely subjugate Judah because God is still with Judah, all right? Here's verse 11. For this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this, peop this, this people. Do not call everything a conspiracy these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. That is so profound and obviously parallel to 1 Peter chapter 3. We are told, we saw this in our previous series on evangelism, in your heart set, a, set apart Christ as holy. Don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. While Peter was telling New Testament believers in the persecution of Rome, who would not even exist for centuries after this was written, while he was telling them not to be afraid of what the Romans are afraid of, uh, and not to be afraid of suffering for doing something good, 
that you're always to be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have to anyone who asks you. And you're to revere Christ as holy. You see the, you see how, how Peter was writing under the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit that inspired this text and perhaps even evoking this text as a structure? It's also, also this ancient prophecy that was written like seven to eight hundred years before the birth of Christ, for crying out loud, might as well have been written yesterday. Do not call everything a conspiracy that these people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Man, we as Americans are prone to political idolatry. This new candidate came up. All of our hopes are going to be on him. This new... This new movement is happening. Everybody be terrified because it's all going down the drain. Look at verse 14. He will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There's another image that's going to run the length of Isaiah, and it really began in the Psalms. The cornerstone, that he's the one upon whom everything rests, but people are tripping over him. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Many will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony. Seal up the instruction among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. All right, so in the course of this text, uh, there are witnesses who are present to indicate that the writing of this prophecy has the force of a legal document. It began, remember, with God telling Isaiah to take out a large piece of parchment and to write this down. And so that if it comes true, these two witnesses could attest to uh, 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 th these two witnesses could attest to the fact that it was false. It didn't come true. Or if it does come true, they could proclaim that it was written before and not after the fact. And so uh, it, it, uh, these two guys that are brought forth as as witnesses, Uriah and Zechariah, this could be the guy from Second Kings sixteen, Uriah. Uh, he was the high priest during Ahaz's reign and uh, at the king's request, modified the altar to conform to the one in Damascus. Something weird happened in verse 3, right? Uh, he says he was intimate with the prophetess. Right? This is the, uh, the, the first fulfillment of the Emmanuel prophecy, maybe well connected with the birth of Maher Shalal Hazbaz, because here Isaiah's wife was a prophetess. Right? So in, in this, Isaiah is intimate with this woman. We believe that she is his wife. And uh, his son's name means speeding to the plunder, hurrying to the spoil. And it's about the rapid encroachment of Assyria. In all of this, in all of this, man, there's a glimpse of the Messiah who is to come. Jesus is the basic application and takeaway for everything that's in Isaiah. And with 
principles at play here, we can also draw the same conclusion that you're not going 